had a great couple of weeks praying and fasting and yesterday was fantastic. It was one of the best prayer and fasts I've, I've been to. They're all good, but that one was particularly special, I thought. And so the things that I'm going to talk about today, I feel compelled to say them, to speak directly and openly. As Brad, I think one of the scriptures he looked at was in 2 Timothy 3, where it talks about in the last days, mankind will be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, basically not really good people, right, in the last days. And we look around us and we look at society and the shoe fits, doesn't it? In Matthew 24, Luke 21, it talks about in the last days, these signs will be appearing. It talks about famines, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. You know, we've always had these things, but never to the scale that we're experiencing them now. We've got things like climate change. We've got a global shift towards fascism and authoritarianism around the world. We've got global economic systems that are collapsing. We see the sign of the times. And a reckoning is coming soon. And I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back for me and it won't be long. It was no small thing, I think, that we chose first love and first works as our focus for our prayer and fast to start the year. Every aspect of our first love should be understood in light of the urgency of our times. The world doesn't have long. It might be a year, it might be 25 years, but in the grand scheme of things, we're in the very last days. There's an urgency. So what is our first love? For me, first love is living in God's love. So we know that we love God because he loved us first. So when we dwelling in God's love, what we are is reflecting his love back to him. So our first love is God's love reflected back. So I talked about the promised land in my current title. Now, God's love for me and for the analogy of this talk, well, I like to think of God's love as the promised land. So we dwell in God's love. We dwell in the promised land, don't we? And when we dwell in the promised land, his love transforms us. So the person that we would be outside of the promised land is completely different to the person that we become inside the promised land when we dwell in God's love. It says in Romans 12 too, that we're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds by the Holy Ghost. He has always loved us right from the very beginning of creation, but we haven't always dwelt in his love. We were separated from his love, from being able to dwell in his love by our sin. And God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Saviour, has opened the border to the promised land that we now may be able to dwell in and know the Father's love. So over the last couple of weeks, we've had six different prayer focuses, thanksgiving, which is a first principle. We count the blessings, the healings, both past and future, and remember his salvation. Thanksgiving is a statement of our faith, isn't it? We're declaring that we dwell in the promised land. First love is fed by the springs of our thanksgiving. We focused on his vision, to be able to put on the mind of Christ, the scriptures say, to be led by his spirit and understand his plan for us. We prayed for our shepherds, God's divinely organised proxy for the relationship, respect and care we're to have with our first love, the Good Shepherd. We love them like we love the Good Shepherd, don't we? Now, they're not the Good Shepherd. They're a work in progress, but God has chosen them. 
So we have care for our brothers that have been chosen to care for us. And we do this because they're divinely delegated proxy for the Good Shepherd. We pray for our brothers and sisters, which means that we have our love embedded in the family of God, the body fitly framed. We forgive one another. We bear one another's burdens and we share each other's griefs and victories, don't we? It's in Corinthians. We prayed over the last couple of weeks for the lost sheep, our first love for the Father, motivated by the memory of being lost sheep ourselves. Where I was lost, now I am found. I want to see others receive what I have received. I want others to experience what it is to dwell in the promised land, to dwell in the love of God. And then finally, I'm praying for what can I do? What can I do in the body of Christ to bring about God's will in his church? In humility, it is a desire to fulfill the first royal law, isn't it? Which is, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, strength. So each of these elements that we've been praying for over the last couple of weeks are there to see us continue to transform as we dwell in God's love. Our number one priority, and it's number one, two, three, and four, is that we're transformed daily by the love of God. I remember Pastor Mark, when I used to live up in Newcastle as a young man, he always used to say, we don't play at church. And so this church, our family, depends on you individually getting through any issues, any barriers, any needs, any uh, strongholds, the scriptures describe them, that are holding you back from enjoying living in the promised land. Our church absolutely needs you to step up and address these things individually in your life. So we're just going to now look at a few things that can lead us away from the promised land, that can block that transformation that must take place for each and every one of us, the things that might rob us from dwelling in God's love. These are five spiritual diseases that will rob you of living in the promised land, living in God's love. And each of these five things that I'm going to cover, being very upfront, I've gone through each of these and no doubt will again. I've had to overcome in some way each of these five diseases in my life, but I've been transformed and I'm going to continue to be transformed. You can have, for the men, you can have prostate cancer. But you can live with prostate cancer pretty much for the rest of your life. You won't always or very often die of prostate cancer. You can, but you're not, it's not as common. Often you'll, you, know, you can manage it and you'll often die of other complications. So it can be this low-level disease. And then another disease or cancer is something like pancreatic cancer. The chances of you surviving pancreatic cancer, next to none, pretty slim. And it's aggressive. And you hear one day and six months later you're gone, right? That's pancreatic cancer. So when you think about these five spiritual diseases, it might be the prostate cancer in your life, this thing that you're just sort of ignoring, that you can live with, you can still, you know, participate, you can still get some blessing, but it's holding you back from fully being transformed by the love of God. Or... It might be the pancreatic cancer in your life that will kill you and quickly unless you decide to live in God's love and be transformed by God's love. So what are they? Disease number one, complacency. We convince ourselves that everything is fine, don't we? 
that we know better and that things are in hand. But we have drifted just slowly a long way from God's direction. It's the attitude of nothing doing, nothing doing, drifting along, spiritual aimlessness and content. This is the real big one for me that I, when I was thinking about this, content to not be challenged by transformation. I've had this in my life. I've experienced this, this disease. Proverbs one thirty two says, For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Complacency. Disease number two, and it fits both types of cancer disease very well. Unforgiveness. We can't get past the hurt or offence that has been caused. Lost in a search for natural justice. We resent the pastor. We can't get along with people. We have anger always pretty close to the surface. That's all the symptoms of unforgiveness in your life. It's a cancer that kills. 1 John 4.20 says, If you hate your brother, the love of God can't be in you. Now you might say, look, I don't hate them. But if you can't forgive them, it's the same thing. You're living with a disease that robs you of the joy of the Lord and that means you can't be transformed by his love. Number three, loving the world. It's a creeping in of the lusts and the pleasures of the world. Most of the time, they're not like the neon lights, red flashing, big obvious ones. It can be the subtle things, can't it? A little here and a little there. We push the borders of what the Spirit tells us is acceptable. Loving the world is desiring the world's acceptance. This is one that I've struggled with from time to time. The accolades and the approval in the workplace, by my peers, on the sporting field. We don't want to be different from society. We want to blend in. That's a disease called loving the world and it's killing us. It can kill you. 1 John 2, 15 to 17 says, If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Disease number four, pride. A hard heart that is unwilling to meet God on God's terms. This can be about you having faith in your own strength and achievements and, and wisdom. That's certainly pride. Or it can be a rebelliousness that means you are unwilling to approach God for his direction. That's pride. It's a spiritual disease and it robs you of dwelling in the promised land. And then disease number five. This one I've experienced, and, I, and to be frank, you know, speaking truth in love, this is one that I think we can see in our brothers and sisters sometimes a bit clear, more clearly than they can see. And we've got to find ways to be able to gently rebuke and encourage and exhort this one. Self-pity, the healing need that continues, you feel like you're not getting an answer on. The desire of your heart unmet, the marriage problems, the money problems, unable to live in joy and wait in hope, unable to be transformed by the love of God. No one understands. No one loves me. If you're lost in self-pity, the disease of self-pity, you can't see God's love and you can't see the love of the brethren and what the, the love that they have for you. So if we leave these diseases unaddressed, they will haunt you in your life. They will leave you joyless and unable to overcome and in the end, 
they will bring you outside of the promised land, lost, lonely and dying. Man, that was a bit of a downer to start the talk, wasn't it? Let's change direction a little bit now. The best news is, the bigger the disease, the bigger the victory. Amen? And we need to be in this place a victory factory. We are a victory factory. In this place, there isn't a disease we're unwilling to tackle, a spiritual disease, because we are determined to dwell in the love of God in his promised land. So we're going to look at Jacob. So if we go back to Genesis uh, 27, Jacob was one of two sons of Isaac. He had a twin brother called Esau. Jacob tricked his father into giving him the promised blessing and inheritance. And having received the inheritance, he had to sort of get out of Canaan because Esau was gunning for his life. And on the way, it says in Genesis 28, 11 to 16, that Jacob stopped for the night on his journey up to Syria. Verse 11, so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of the place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. So if you look at verse 13, the Lord stood above it and said, I'm the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and God of Isaac. Now, what name is missing? Jacob's name. And the thing that I realized is even though Jacob had enough insight and maybe spurring on from an ambitious mother to claim God's promises, he still had unbelief. He still didn't know God the way his grandfather did. He didn't have the relationship that his grandfather did or that his father did. And so there's this realization, oh, God is in this place, this place that I've called home. Instead of kind of claiming all the promises, he's just, all his focus is on, I've got to get out of here. All right, God is real. I've just seen something amazing. But he hadn't given his whole heart. He hadn't truly been transformed by the love of God. There was still unbelief. He was still Jacob. So for 20 years, he lives in Syria. He marries a couple of sisters. Came time to go home. It became clear that he needed to go back. Go back to the promised land. Go back to the land that God had promised him. And then the next thing that we read about in Genesis 32, 24, the night before, or the morning that he was due to cross over and enter into the promised land and face Esau, This is one of the most, uh, for me anyway, the most mind-blowing moments in Scripture and one of my favourites. Verse 24. A man wrestled with him until the break of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled him. And he said, this is the man, let me go for the day breaks. But he, Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And he blessed him there. The spiritual diseases that Jacob had wrestled with for 20 years, now was crunch time. The only thing we can do is wrestle with God to claim the blessing. 
Basically, Jacob would, do, would stop at nothing to ensure that he overcame what he needed to overcome, that God would bless him. The attitude had completely changed in that moment. He's been renamed Israel and he buys a parcel of land in the promised land. He sets up permanent habitation in the place where he belongs. And it says then in verse 20, then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. So formally we read about that God was the God of my grandfather and my father. But by this stage, with a new name, Israel was declaring that this was the God of me. And that's who we declare. It is the God of Leanne and of Al. It's the God of Barry and of Jacob and of Chris. We set up this spiritual altar in our heart that we will stand, we will do whatever it takes to overcome the issues in our life. Revelation 2.17, you don't have to turn there, but it says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes spiritual disease, complacency, pride, unforgiveness, self-pity, and loving the world, if you can overcome these things, I've given him hidden manna to eat. What does Jesus say? I have bread that you know not of. And I will give him a white stone and on that stone a new name. Jacob got a new name. Written which no one knows except him who receives it. Well, I can't wait to more formally receive my name. I've already got it. It's held for me. But I'm determined to be an overcomer that's claiming that white stone with my name. Each and every one of us should be saying amen to that. Amen? So I need to give just a couple of really quick practical things. Because it's all well and good to say, well, how do I wrestle with God? So what does wrestling look like for you and I? What is contending with God with a determination to make sure that we receive the blessing and overcome whatever we need to? Here's five. I had five diseases. Here's five things. You've got to start with humility. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You can't move any further forward if you don't have humility. Number two, repentance. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confession is a huge one, a huge thing that's linked to repentance. It's having trust that you can open up to God and to your brothers and sisters about the things, the, the spiritual diseases that are overwhelming your life. We need to be more open to share with each other the things that are going on. Number three, determination. This is Jacob, isn't it, in the wrestling match? The scriptures say in Matthew 7, Jesus says, knock and keep on knocking. I will pray for my heart's desire until it is fulfilled or until God changes my desire. So if you've been struggling with something for 20 years, there is no out clause for being able to down tools. You knock and keep on knocking. Number four, boldness. So we build up to these things, don't we? By the time we're using boldness to wrestle with God, it says in Hebrews 4, one of my favourite scriptures before we enter into communion, that we come boldly before the throne of grace. When? In time of need. And then the fifth one, which is all-encompassing, is love. You start to open yourself up to reflecting God's love back to him in your life. 
Last scripture, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 verse 10. And we put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. This is all in the wrestle. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man hath a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. Put on God's love. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you are called in one body and be thankful. One body. Ephesians 4 says we're one, we have one God, one faith, one baptism. We're bound by the Spirit. We can't escape each other. It was as God intended. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. We're right back at principle number one, thanksgiving. So to conclude, brothers and sisters, we're in the last days. We need to be urgent about addressing the spiritual disease that crops up in our life. You can't put these things off anymore. It's crunch time. The well-being of our church family, this family that you say you love, I hope, its well-being depends on you facing spiritual disease, clinging to the leg of the Lord in the wrestle and overcoming. We want to be a victory factory. Just like Jacob, we have an inheritance that we don't deserve, but we're going to cling to it. And like Jacob, we've been given a new name as overcomers, of these spiritual diseases of unbelief. And it's ours to wrestle with God for the blessing in humility, in repentance, in determination to keep turning up, to keep knocking in boldness, and we'll cling to the leg and demand the blessing. And in love, we love him because he first loved us. We love in thanksgiving, we love in care for our family here and the lost sheep out there. We love in seeking his vision and being open to his direction. Amen.